Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. This is God's word. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam... No suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman." for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. 
man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. I want to ask what we asked last time. Is this true? Is this true? I mean, did this really happen? Or is this just a, a myth designed to help us sort of feel that there is a meaning and purpose and somehow there is a supreme being who is related to his creation? This is true. This is God's word. God speaks the truth. Yes, but couldn't it be true in some metaphysical sense, but not really in some literal sense? Well, if it weren't presented as history, here as it's being written, and then treated as history by our Lord Jesus, not to mention the apostles. I had a professor in college who had a PhD from Duke University, and he was an ordained minister. And he didn't take this stuff really seriously. We were studying about various things in psychology, which was his area of expertise, supposedly. And, um, and I asked him if he believed that there was any sort of demonic involvement in some cases. He said, oh, I don't believe in, in demons. I said, really? I said, well, Jesus seems to have. He said, well, Jesus was a, a creature of his day. And I said, so the accounts of what happened there in the Gospels where Jesus had interactions with demons, he said, I would just say that he was speaking in a way that would be understood by his culture. And I said, so when he cast the demons out of the fellow in Mark chapter 5, and they went into the herd of swine, and the swine ran down the hillside and drowned themselves in the sea, were the pigs just going along with the gag? I've never thought of that, to be honest. Well, I was glad he was honest, but if you're going to teach and take issue with the scriptures, you might want to do your homework. It would be helpful to read the book before you interpret it. So, do I take this as being a literal Adam? Yes, I do, absolutely. No doubt, no question, because it's not ambiguous, it's not vague. Well, it could, could be, maybe not, no. It even gives us geography. It talks about where Eden was, not where Eden is. Because chapter 3 is going to tell us about why man was kicked out and why we can't go back. But there was a place where man started out. And the way that man got there was that God formed man from the dirt. You're just 
dirty. Well, it depends on what you mean by that. If you were to take our bodies and chemically analyze what they're made out of, you would find that we are largely H2O. Our bodies are, in large part, water. But you've got to have some other stuff besides the water. And it basically is made up of a little list of chemicals, which back when I was a boy, you could get at a hardware store. The basic elements that make up our bodies from a physical standpoint are just the stuff you could go and dig in the garden. We're made of dirt. God said so. God said this to people who would subsequently have all kinds of other ideas about, you know, where we came from and why we're different and all that. God says, no, I made you out of dirt. You need to know that. It, it actually is helpful in being humble if you know that ultimately you would be nothing but dirt if God had not given you life. But he did. God took the basic elements of the ground and he formed a man. Now, previously we read about God speaking things into being. With man, he doesn't just speak us into being. He took some of what he'd already made and he formed a man and then breathed his breath into that body and man became a living being. We get our life from him. But he said something was not good. He had already pronounced day after day, this is good, this is good, this is very good. But he said this is very good about the creation of male and female. If you go back and you look, male and female, he created them in chapter 1. Chapter 2 tells us how that came about. Tells us a little more detail. God made the man, and he said it is not good for the man to be alone. I can vouch for that. God knew what he was talking about. He said, I will make a helper suitable for him. And there was no other creature in creation that was going to meet the need that God saw that Adam had. Well, I've always kind of felt like a dog is a man's best friend. I take it you're single? Well, haven't always been. Yeah, well, if you treated your wife like your dog was your best friend, maybe that's why you're single. God gave us all kinds of wonderful things in this creation to enjoy, including animal life. It's neat. I fed the cats this morning. They were all lined up outside the front door looking at me. And so I bent over and I got the little cup that I used to go get their food. And they just kind of watched me go. But when I came back, they were up on their hind legs. 
Okay? Why? Because they know that I care for them. And I genuinely do. But if God forbid something happened to my bride, and I had to content myself with a German shepherd and three cats, I would be praying every day, Lord, take me home. It is not good for the man to be alone. It's not what we were designed for. It was not God's intent. Do not take from this that God said, I'm going to make a man. And then it was like, hmm, something's missing here. I know. I'll make a helper suitable for him. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is that a part of the design of man was that he would be blessed with a counterpart. So uh, if you're, you're saying uh, I should take this uh, seriously, then um, I guess I need to start looking for a wife because I'm single. Well, you could. I would suggest you keep your eyes open, gentlemen. But I would also suggest that you notice how Adam was engaged in his search when he found his wife. The Lord caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, God prepared a helpmate for him and brought her to him. And Adam said, Whoa, man! Now, that's not actually a pun in Hebrew, but, but it is in English, and I like it because I'm corny, okay? When he saw the woman, he called her woman. Everything else he had named, but there was no suitable helper found for him. Now, this is it. God took a part of him and made somebody with whom he could become one. That was God's intention. That was God's plan. Now, there is a ton in this chapter that we need to look at, and hopefully, in years to come, we will revisit this many times. But I want to point out just a few things here. First of all, when the Lord God formed the man, he was making him in the image of God. When the Lord God formed the woman from the man, she too was made in the image of God. How do we know that? Because we've already read chapter 1. Okay? And even though man was formed first, Paul reminds us in the New Testament that none of us who are alive today get here except through a woman. So this is not somehow making women nothing. You know, they're just, you know, I, I, I need somebody, so God made a woman. But um, I, don't, I don't take it very seriously. You better take it seriously. She bears the image of God, as you do. And you need to live a life that reflects his glory. Whether you are male or female, you are made in the image of God. And your life has value and significance because God says so. 
It's not something the government can endow you with. And it's not something that the government can take away even when they try. You and I are made in the image of God and endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. And you and I need to give thanks every day for the fact that the God who made us, made us in his likeness. And we need to treat other people as having been made in his likeness also. When it talks about the garden, God had made this place and he put the man there so that the man could just fly around all day and occasionally maybe get up and eat a piece of fruit. Is that what happened? No. God put the man there in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Did you know that work is part of God's plan for you? It's not a result of the fall. Now, we're going to find out that because of sin and because of death entering the world, work isn't as wonderful and fulfilling as it once was. But work is not a bad thing. It's a part of God's plan for you. I've had tons of people ask me, so how are you enjoying retirement? I'm not retired. I'm in a different role. I'm still working. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, why are you sorry to hear Well, because you've worked hard for many years, and I thought now you were going to stop. No. I'm going to continue to work as long as God enables me to continue to work. But I'm not able to work as much for as long as I used to be because my body and my mind are both slowing down. Your mind too? Yeah, yeah. But that's all right. I've almost slowed down to the point where I'm like a normal human. <laughs> I've told you before, but I went to see my ophthalmologist. I told him my vision had declined. And he said, well, let's, let's, see. let's see how you're doing. He gave me a test. He'd tested me years before. And he tested me. He said, wow, your vision has gotten a lot worse. And I said, so this was several years back. I, I said, so do I need glasses? He said, no, not really. He said, you've declined all the way to where now your vision is 2020. He said, that's what we try and get people to with correction. So he said, it's not nearly as good as it used to be, but it's as good as we're trying to get people, so we're not going to give you glasses. Well, I finally, finally qualified to get glasses. But I had to go back and have just the lower part be magnification because I found I couldn't see as well through the slightly magnified upper part as I can through these with clear up here. Why am I telling you that? Because I want you to understand something. Even supermen get old. 
and decline. And if you think right now that you will always be the picture of health and youth and vitality and strength that you are, think again. Well, so God just made us so that we kind of fall apart? No, actually, we did that to ourselves. That's the next chapter. In this chapter, what you have is sinless mankind. An Adam who has never sinned, a wife, Eve, who has never sinned, and they are living in paradise, and they have responsibilities. There's a job. They're supposed to work the garden. I just, I, work just doesn't appeal to me. That's because you have a sin nature, okay? Before the fall, work was a gift. After the fall, work is a gift. But it's a lot more difficult than it was before the fall. More about that, God willing, next time. But I want you to see that man was put in the garden to work it and take care of it. And we still have a responsibility to take care of the creation. I want you to see also that when God brought the various creatures to the man, the man was charged with the responsibility of naming them. Now, if you look back in chapter 1, God is calling everything by name, okay? God called the light time, day, and the darkness he called night. God called the various things because he is exercising dominion over those things. But when he made man, he gave man responsibility to exercise dominion over creation, and he brings all the animals to Adam and says, whatever you name them, that's their name. And so Adam names all these things, thereby exercising dominion. Why are you, why are you talking about that? Because that is going to show up all through the scriptures. Not only the fact that man is supposed to exercise dominion, and blows it in the next chapter, but also the fact that the naming process is hardwired into us as a way of seeking to exercise control. The demons were eager to call Jesus by name. Jesus speaks to demons and makes them, on occasion, identify themselves by name. Scientists today look into the heavens and they want to name the heavenly bodies. They want to name various scientific effects and syndromes, whether it's in medicine or in chemistry or in, well, virology is a part of medicine. But all these different things, we got to have a name for it, okay? And once we have a name for it in psychology, Got to have a name for it. Why? Because it gives us a feeling of control. There are some individuals who, whether they understand what they're doing or not, 
insist on giving everybody a nickname. They're not willing to accept that person's name. They want to be able to name that person. My grandfather called all girls Alice. He knew it irritated them, but he enjoyed doing it. He was just a quirky kind of guy. Former President George W. Bush nicknamed everybody. Now, sometimes that happens because, like me, you can't remember people's names very well. But I, at least, don't assign you a new one. You understand? That's not my place. Please don't be one of those people who thinks it's your job to rename everybody. It's not. But understand, as you read in the Scriptures that this responsibility to exercise dominion didn't go away with the fall. It just became a lot harder. And understand that the reason such emphasis is placed in the scriptures on what people are named is because it really does have significance. It really does matter. And you will find, for example, that Jesus did give people some new names because he gave them a new life. Jesus would say to Simon, from now on, you're the rock. I'm going to call you Rocky. Okay? Peter said, I, I don't get it. I'm a fisherman, and that's not a very good thing if you're out in a boat and you're a stone. But in any case... It turned out God had a different plan for Peter than he'd ever envisioned for himself. And he was going to be solid one day. Saul of Tarsus became Paul because he needed a new life after what he had been and what he had done. And God gave him a new life. When people are baptized... The question that is asked when they baptize little babies, or at least they think they're, they're baptizing them, when they do what they call baptism of little babies, they say to the father, name your child. And that name that's given at the baptism is that child's Christian name. In many traditions, when a believer gets biblically baptized, they are given the opportunity for a new name. And whether they take a new name or not, their name is spoken when they are baptized. I baptize you, my brother, Paul Wood. I baptize you, my brother, Brian Pillsbury. What are we doing? Are we exercising dominion at that point? No, we're honoring the fact that God has given this person an identity and names mean something. So, Adam got to name all these different creatures, but none of them were the right help me for him. And then, 
the woman is brought to him. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Okay, Pastor, I'm sorry. I'm starting to get my hackles up because I think what you're saying here is that initially, before the fall, the man was given responsibility to be in a position of dominion over the woman? Yeah. I knew this was one of those patriarchal cults. No, 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 just hold on. This would be no problem if it weren't for the next chapter. The strife over who's going to be in control happens after the fall. And it happens because Adam didn't do his job before the fall. Because when that serpent was tempting Eve, Adam was right there. Pastor, you're getting ahead of yourself. That's the next chapter. I know, but I want you to understand this. Adam had a responsibility to take the lead, and he blew it. He blew it. Adam was given responsibility, and he called her woman, for she was taken out of man. Well, I, don't, I don't even like the idea that says she's supposed to be a helper. You know the word that's used there for helper is the word that is used to describe the third person of the Trinity? Really? Yes. The Holy Spirit describes himself as the helper. So when the woman is called the helper, it's comparing her to, to God? Yeah. Well, that doesn't seem nearly as demeaning. Well, good, I'm glad you understand that. Because the fact of the matter is, as we started this with, both male and female are made in the image and likeness of God. But that doesn't mean that both woman and man have the same responsibilities, the same role in creation, before or after the fall. It's just doing things God's way after the fall, it's a lot more difficult. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Okay. I'm sorry, I just... I, I know, Pastor, I want to be polite and I, I want to I take you seriously. I know you're not trying to fool us, but I just find it hard to believe that you really take this literally. Um, as we said when we were talking about chapter 1, I believe this is absolutely true because this is God's Word. Years ago, a woman visited our church on Cape Cod for the very first time. It wasn't only her first time in our church, it was her first time in church in decades. And the friend of hers from AA who got her to come 
uh, kept telling her, you know, you're going to love it. It's gonna, you're going to just love this. It's going to be wonderful. It's not like church, like you've known it before. This is, you know, please come, et cetera. The woman finally came, and as they're sitting in the parking lot before they came into the church, she said to her friend from AA, I'm only going in there out of friendship with you, but I can't take Christianity seriously until somebody resolves for me the whole creation versus evolution thing. And her friend said, well, let's just, let's just go on inside. They went inside, they sat down, and I'm preaching from Mark's gospel. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me as I'm starting to preach and said, you need to say this to somebody out there. I thought that doesn't have anything to do with my sermon. And the Holy Spirit said, you need to say it. And I thought, I'm sorry, I don't think I can work that in. And the Holy Spirit said, you need to say that. And so I said, okay, look, I don't know who this is for, but there's somebody here who feels like you just can't take Christianity seriously until someone can explain to you the whole thing about creation versus evolution. God is saying to you right now that you need to focus on Jesus because once you know him, you won't have a problem with the creation versus evolution thing. Well, this woman sitting way in the back nearly had a heart attack because I had never met her before. And she had just said that in the parking lot, and then they got out of the car, walked inside, sat down, and there had been no opportunity for her friend who had brought her to communicate that to me or to anybody else because she'd been with her the whole time. So how did I know that? I didn't. God did. I want you to understand the reason that we take God's word seriously is because we take God seriously. We're not talking here about mythology. We're talking about the living God. The one who created everything is still God. And he cares about you and he's speaking to you and I plead with you to listen. God wants you not just to know about him. He wants you to know him. And you can. Because Jesus died on the cross to remove everything that stood between us and God to open the way so that you can draw near. And Jesus conquered death and is alive right now and is King of kings and Lord of lords and I plead with you, put your trust in him. Once you know him, the idea that he could create everything out of nothing, it's no strain. Once you know him, the idea that he could do it all in six days if he chose to, no strain. The idea that he would make our first parents out of dirt <laughs> needs to be finessed because it was the man who was made out of dirt, the woman was just made out of a little bit of former dirt. Okay? But life is from God. 
He made you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He has a plan for your life, and it's a good plan. He loves you. That's why he sent Jesus. I want you to know him, not just know about him. I want you to know him. How do I do that? Call out to him and say, I want to know you. Please save me. I know I've sinned. I know I've messed up. I know I can't save myself, but oh, God, please save me. And he will. He will. He promised. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He doesn't lie. And it's not about how you feel. It's about what you know. Because God says so. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of proclaiming the good news. Help us to truly repent and believe. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.